That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast dissecting Batman v Superman one minute at a time. We've arrived at minute 54 of the film. I believe Diana is making her escape. Bruce Wayne is giving chase. And we are going to be moving into some of the more philosophical, political, religious portions of the movie. Are you ready for this, Stephen? I am very ready. It's about time that we talk some of these headier themes. So, just like Bruce Wayne's uh, blazer button, we are off. We, as a population on this planet, have been looking for a savior. 90% of people believe in a higher power and every religion believes in some sort of messianic figure. And when the savior character actually comes to Earth, we want to make him abide by our rules. We have to understand that this is a paradigm shift. We have to start thinking beyond politics. We cut to what is probably like one of the most incredibly painterly, dramatic, surreal images of the movie, which is Superman exiting the factory fire. Yeah. And I always found this movie is really interesting because it's very grounded in a lot of ways. But I think this is one of the the places where it's most clear, or at least one of the first places where it makes a big statement that not it's not always a completely naturalistic movie. It's a very romanticized scene. If that happened in real life, if Superman was real, if he came and he saved them, it wouldn't be this like everyone is moving in slow motion. I mean, the scene is in slow motion, but also people are moving slowly and it's like it feels choreographed. Not in like a cheap way, but I mean, it's it's clearly a, a artistic um, moment. And that's one of the things that I really love about the movie is that it it embraces those sort of romanticized visuals or moments and i think that throws some people off because it's it feels like i don't know they expect it to be like they expect him to land and like speak to them in spanish or something while that might be like more like quote-unquote realistic there's so much like symbolism and, and sort of thematic content that's in here also and besides the fact that it's just a beautiful beautiful shot Especially when you come into the, the idea of you start talking about, about color and the use of color in this movie. And I think that the the colors in this scene are are absolutely amazing. It's not washed out or, or brown. It's it's very rich and, and varied in the reds and the browns and different colors that you have here. And it's a stark sort of departure from the colors of the rest of the movie, too. It's a very clear separation from like the white and black that we were just in from the party. Yeah, drama. Yeah. Like capital D drama, right? Yeah, exactly. It's one of those moments where Zack Snyder says, um, I think we've referenced it a few times, but from his director's cut event where he said he was talking about one of the producers asked him whether or not the zombies would pause (laughs) on the way up the stairs to stare them down. And he goes, no, in real life, the zombies probably wouldn't pause, but it it looks cooler. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. And, And that's, you know maybe crank that up to 11 and that's kind of what you get in a moment like this yeah in in real life these this guy wouldn't be flying either yeah (laughs) yeah exactly we get i think we alluded to it before superman lands with the young girl in his arms he he carries her in slow motion to her waiting family 
Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just up in Mexico. This is also during the Dia de los Muertos event, which is, what is it? Is it All Saints Day or it takes place like after Halloween? I don't know how directly related it is, but it's so like we know that the party was November 1st. And so it happens. It's like right at that time. I, I, I did a little obvious digging into uh, Dia de Muertos, what Wikipedia and similar sites could tell me, that it has an incredibly old tradition that has migrated closer and closer to Halloween Yeah, as the years have gone by. It isn't given away right at the moment, right? I think when he lands, he isn't surrounded by any skull-painted faces. It's kind of when he enters the group, you know, we, we lose sight of him as he gets down and crouches into this group and then perfectly – on cue with Hans Zimmer's theme, <laughs> yeah, uh, he rises uh, as we see all the people with skulls painted reaching out to touch him, providing a an echo to Man of Steel that I believe Zack Snyder confirmed personally. Yeah, he said he confirmed on Vero when someone pointed that out. I guess in a, in a different tone, uh, surrounded by being swallowed up by by skulls in a similarly tinged scene in Man of Steel. There, it had to be a dream sequence to look like this. Yeah. Or a fever dream, literally, but here it is real. This is, the, the I think, the, the meat of this minute for me, or the most um, symbolically dense and rich for me. Did you do any digging into the Dia de Muertos in particular about what I might have to say with the story that we're watching told yeah, with Clark? A little bit. I mean, it's it's been changed a lot because it's sort of blended some like Catholicism with paganism and... And become like a national holiday, and then there's Halloween has kind of influenced all of that also. But it's a recognition or celebration of like death as a as a as a part of life, but as a recognition of of the family and loved ones that have passed before us. And so the the wearing of the skulls and 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 whatnot is a recognition of those that have gone on already. It strikes me. It's so sad because this is explicitly what is denied Clark. What is denied Superman is the entire, you know, if you, I think one of the first things that they'll tell you about Dia de Muertos is it is not somber. It's not sad. It is a, a celebration because those people have returned. Yeah. You know, for a day they are remembered. You're supposed to tell stories about them, etc. All of the things that Superman is unable to do with his own people. Oh, Yeah. Anytime he tries to basically do the equivalent that it would be, I mean, he is doing that, I guess, right? He is, he's been trying to honor his family and his father. And Man of Steel, I'm trying to remember now, were the skulls Krypton? The remains of Krypton that he was standing on? Or no, the remains it was, uh, of, of Earth, humans. The humans of the Earth. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. But when you started talking about, about Krypton, I was like, you know what? That is an interesting kind of twist on that also. If it represents, he stands on the, you know, because he has the, he's the codex, right? So he kind of stands on the the corpse of the codex, a skull. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other interesting angle on that also is he comes and this is the first time that we see him not as Superman because we saw him as Superman in the desert, but it's the first time that we see him saving someone that's not Lois. So that was more of a of a personal thing. Um, it's the first time that we've seen that since Metropolis. And the big criticism there was that he didn't save anybody. We didn't see him saving people, wanted to see him uh, rescuing people from buildings and saving them from whatever. And the interesting sort of inversion here is that he he, he flies all the way to Mexico from wherever the party was. I think the party was in, Metro in Metropolis. And, yeah, Metropolis um, to Mexico City. 
and um, details. <laughs> um, and he saves this girl that he saw was in trouble on TV. And yet he's still surrounded by the dead, which is a theme that we're going to see a lot in this movie is the idea that he he is always choosing who he saves and he's surrounded by the dead of those that he can't save always there's always more that he can't than he than he can he defeated zod he saved that family in metropolis i mean he saved many others but most immediately that family there but he was still surrounded by fallen buildings and thousands of dead people and then you know this is we'll we'll have that very same concept it's been hit on a couple times already and it'll be in the future but it's very visual the visual metaphor is heavy here of he's holding this girl that he saved yet he's surrounded by the dead of her her family and her people we should say visual metaphors i think i think one of the we've touched on this before too about how some people want to say this is what this means and this one is really tempting too because snyder has confirmed that it was an echo of of that scene in man of steel when in reality this there's so much i mean obviously Zack snyder i would assume is a fan of skulls in general but the fact that the codex was introduced as a codex of every person who had existed on krypton etching that into a skull and making it very literal literally clark carries his entire people that are dead billions of lives lost he carries it in him metaphorically and physically that when you enter into this scene, the look that, that uh, Cavill has on his face as Superman in this moment, he doesn't even know how, where to begin processing his place in the world right now. The fact that you're, you make it during you know, Dia de Muertos, you obviously invite those comparisons. What would this look like to him? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's just so rich in so many different ways of like, it's, it's allowed. It's, I think it earns the drama that it's presented with here. Yeah. That, that we're left with it. For, for me, the, the big thing that stuck with me the first time I saw it and then every time I've seen it since is, I don't know what, why it is that maybe that's, um, that people in Latin America and Mexico are depicted as more fervent in their expressions of faith mm -hmm. that to to a, a north america audience to a european audience you know a western audience quote unquote definitely that they all lay their hands on him like they're all reaching out to to put their hands on him and it reads as it made sense in seeing it Maybe it's because there's like a an implied language barrier or Superman isn't speaking like you don't expect him to speak, maybe yeah. because you're not used to seeing super Superman speak Spanish, but that really calls and for anyone who doesn't know like i'm I'm using the term the laying on of hands because that is like the term that it's used in uh i we've probably lost count of how many different cultures and religions use it, yeah that uh you know even Dungeons and uh, dragons. <laughs> yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, Jewish, Christian, uh, Latin American, Dungeons and Dragons. I think Native Americans as well. Um, the Navi of the Moon of Pandora. <laughs> the idea of laying your hands on. I think. I think in the Jewish Church. Well, and probably. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm going to assume in Judeo-Christian faiths. That is how a person is given the authority, right? That everyone literally puts their hands on them. Yeah. Well, there's there's. I think a couple different spins, like you said, with with be, it being visual metaphors, per what you said earlier, to avoid putting any one specific interpretation on it. 
Totally. Which I think Snyder does a lot with his, you know, the visual medium, a picture tells a thousand words. And so I think he more often conveys tones or concepts with his metaphors more so than, like, if something can be boiled down to a sentence, then it can be said in a sentence. And so we can't take this and say this means this one thing. But in, at least in Judeo-Christian cultures it's um, or religions, it's done with, like, when you pray for somebody, you will mm-hmm. you'll put your hands on them. But I think there's also a... The story of Jesus, there was a, a woman who was who was sick, had some condition where she was always bleeding, and she followed him through a crowd just to like reach out and touch the skirt of his like robes. And when she did that, it it healed her, and it was a demonstration of faith. And so he, uh, there was a moment of like you know who he he turned around and said who touched me, and then said you know you're blessed because you have faith. What's interesting. About this, it kind of feels very much like that of they just want to, they're deifying him. Yeah, totally. And, and they want to put their, cause it's not, it's not necessarily putting, I think there's an element of putting their hands on him, like to, to bless him or to pray for him out of, out of gratitude. Yeah. Uh, but I think also, which would be done, Simultaneously. which would be done like amongst peers religiously. But I also get that sense of there's that faith of like, if I can just touch him, I will be blessed. Mm-hmm. Or, or he will. Yeah, it's it's the divinity, right? That either we're giving it. It's it's totally. I think a hundred percent. It's going both ways, right? They are reaching out because they want to touch God. Yeah, but they also it it reads as gratitude because he's just given them something, right? So they all want to reach out by reversing that and saying that we are bestowing on you this authority and this. Yeah. Grace. The other thing that I always think of it is in at least my Judeo-Christian upbringing and education was the other time you do that is on an animal that you're about to sacrifice. (laughs) You will lay your hands on it to bless it. Yeah. And I don't think we need to take any single one of those. I think they all work. Definitely. Yeah. In their, in their own, in their own kind. Even, even that one, I think has a, I don't know if I want to even say twisted because that's exactly what happens, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's this is not the first, nor is it the last explicitly Judeo-Christian, you know, Messiah imagery reflected that is being used for the Superman story, which has always been there. You know, like right. it, it's not being injected or, or anything like that. That he is both a savior and the lamb that will be sacrificed. Right? Yeah. The other time that that happens is when people will lay their hands on the goat, passing on their sins. And then push it out and let it leave and take all of their badness and scapegoat literally. Yeah. At which point in the movie. Yeah, so it was a very good timing for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We raised the question geez, is this guy, is he going to be used as some kind of savior or an excuse to project all our own garbage onto? Right. Which is when the voice of Vikram Gandhi yes. comes in. Uh, what we as a population on this planet have been looking for a savior. 90% of people believe in a higher power, and every religion believes in some sort of messianic figure. And when that the savior character actually comes to Earth, we want to make him abide by our rules. We have to understand that this is a paradigm shift. We have to start thinking beyond politics. I, I did a little bit of looking into him, and he's a he's a documentary filmmaker, as he's credited in the movie. But I looked back to see, like, why... You look at this scene and you see kind of why did Zack Snyder pick each of the people that he picks to, to talk. And Vikram Gandhi did like a, um, like a documentary. He did the Barry documentary about um, Obama. But the thing that he did most recently before 
BVS was a documentary called Kumari, where he became like a fake Indian like shaman in Arizona. And he like grew out his beard and he adopted a fake accent and he wore like these robes and he went and he lived like in the in the desert outside of like a city in Arizona or something and then like came into the city and started um, like basically he fabricated a cult. And the documentary is about getting people to like fervently believe and like become his follower Wow! as a sort of commentary on. And so there's a lot of debate over like whether or not that's like morally okay to sure sure to do that for like fun or academic purposes or whatever because you're but so obviously the the whole point of that documentary then is demonstrating that people's need or desire or craving to to find a higher power and that you know i don't know how i haven't seen it so i don't know how convincing he is or what sort of tricks that he uses or whatever to convince people that he is this religious figure um or has any sort of divine properties but from reading the re- the limited reading that I did about it, it seems like the point that he's making is that people want to believe it, and so you almost like a don't human need- on a human level. Yeah, exactly. And so he didn't even need to like to fake powers or anything, and maybe he did, but he didn't. In order to to pull this off, he just needed it to offer people what they were craving, which was answers for why they are here or what their purpose in life is. He wanted to make them feel like they mattered. So anyway, so the question is, why is he being interviewed on the news about Superman? <laughs> that's why. Yeah. That's, that's exactly why, right? Because he's saying, we, he says, what, 90% of people believe in a higher power, higher power. And so people have this, have a belief, whether or not it's, you know, for whatever reason, it's because there there is a need in people to identify with or, or deify something greater than them. That's a good, um, I guess, first characterization of Superman. Yeah. In this, that, because this is the minute where he says, you know, yeah, we're all waiting for a Messiah. And I, it's overlaid, we should say, like, with the closing of the, the Dia de Muertos crowd laying their hands on Superman. He's pointing out that we're all looking for a Messiah, that we need to start thinking beyond politics. I, I love that line because it's a, it's a perfect pivot from, okay, we've talked about Superman, the deity, or, you know, what is he? And now, what does this mean for us in our world and how do we relate to him as humans, not as spiritual or, or when we're not deifying him? And I think anyone looking to dive a bit deeper into him saying that, you know, when this guy shows up on earth, we want him to apply, we want him to abide by our laws and our rules can go, uh, just start re-listening to this podcast. I think from the <laughs> Nairomi <laughs> yeah. segment to beginning to end there is or- probably hours. Or go listen, or go read reviews about this movie itself. Yeah, what uh, the savior character comes here? We want to abide by our rules. So much of the the conflict or debate over this movie is about that idea: what is Superman supposed to be? We have these ideals for what he's, what the character is supposed to be like in fiction, and because he has these powers. And so, yeah, we're talking about fiction here. But that the the fact that we still have that debate, even when it's not real, I think it, it is very much the exact same debate because we're debating about if he was real, what would he, what would we want him to be, or what would we need him to be in order to satisfy all our personal desires for our morality or or what we need him to be for us. Yeah, it's been present. I, I think we've dug up a lot of these kind of concepts from 
all the other episodes we've done. Yeah. But this is kind of the first point where it's like, okay, so this isn't just us that's like gleaning this from the between the margins. Like it's being explicitly said here now by characters in the movie. Yeah. This is what this movie is capital A about. Yeah, exactly. Now I think the we I think we'd leave it for the next minute, but I believe the transition of the scene though is with him dragging the boat. Yes. Right? Can we get a, a glimpse of that before we switch over? We get uh, feet in snow and then him dragging a great big boat. Yeah. I would like to say the next minute explains why, but if you've seen this movie, you know it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can we can open that up to your own theories. Please share them with us on Twitter at BVS by the minutes. Or if you're going to give us a review on iTunes, I'll, I'll throw a, a reminder in there now. Perhaps add a PS. This is what I think that boat was used for. <laughs> Great calls. I think it was going on there. Uh, no, yeah, I think this is we we've obviously, like you said, have been picking at this stuff from the very start. I think that Zack Snyder and the film calling out the question of what does the hero look like, right? What does the Messiah look like? What if Superman showed up on Earth tomorrow? What would we do? We would instantly start trying to fit him into what we think he is supposed to be. What if God was one of The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. Hmm. One if I land. Hmm. 